0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lead2B. Today, we're joined by a guest who's not just fueled by caffeine, but also by a unique career journey from real estate to marketing to SDR to AE to full cycle sales. Michelle Craig brings her unique experience to the sales games with tips and stories that everyone in B2B can learn from. Get ready for another episode of Lead2B podcast for B two B. Hey, Michelle.
1: Hey, that is the best intro I think that I've ever heard for myself. I might have to steal that and uh, make it. that my intro. Take
0: <laughs> it. Take it. I actually have more to say about you too. I can I can say it too. So I I was going to say that Michelle brings her unique blend of experience to the table, and she's here to unpack the insights and stories that have shaped her dynamic career. Her journey is a testament to adaptability, determination, and the power of embracing change.
1: Wow. How's wow, that's like a whole bio. I'm going to have to
0: write a book now. I mean, I try. I try to be kind of formal before I just lose all no, formality. Awesome. So, Michelle, you're a full cycle sales representative at Unifor. What is full cycle sales and how does that differ from what I guess I'd call regular sales?
1: Yeah. So I feel like over the last several years, um, especially in the SaaS space, the model has been uh, an SDR doing a lot of the the outbound, the cold outreach, potentially inbound SDRs, working with inbound leads, um, and then an AE or, you know, there's a thousand different titles people are using for that role, but they kind of take it from that second or third touch point with a prospect. Um, whereas full cycle is your, you know, you're running your own outbound, you're doing your own qualifying, you're really taking everything from first point of contact, or even contact point zero, through to the end of, you know, end of the line, and through through closing and beyond.
0: So do you have team members who are not full cycle sales there and are just maybe outbound sales or or inside sales or is everybody there full cycle?
1: Yeah, so our team is structured really interestingly. Um, you know, and and my role is there's a hybrid element to it. So we do have sales directors that um, we work with and do support and support their enterprise business. Um, but they're also, you know, I think every sales rep is or should be outbounding right now. I think in a in a perfect climate, um, you know, you have enough mix of inbound, demand and all of that. Um but yeah, pretty much everyone on our team is doing at least some element of outbounding and prospecting for themselves as well.
0: I saw a post of yours recently where you mentioned that a friend of yours heard you doing your your sales voice. And I'm doing that in <laughs> quotes. What is, can we hear your sales voice? What is that?
1: Oh gosh, I don't know. It's probably my, it's probably my podcast voice. It's probably the same, but... Um, it was more so just funny because she's, like, she's a nurse, so she's very outside of this world. And just hearing my, like, cold call, hey, it's Michelle from Unifor, how's it going? Um, and just elements of that was, I think it was a pretty interesting for her to hear the other side of it. But um, I don't know, I don't, I hope I don't change my voice too much, but I think we all do, whether whether it's, like, a phone call or recording or something, we, like, edit ourselves a little bit.
0: We we all, like, change your voice a little bit. Like, especially on sales, I- I've led calls, stuff like that. I've had friends listen in, and it's like, wow, you, like, change, like, as a person. And I'm like, do I? I don't think I do. It's just I have to, you have to lead a call, and you have to, like, bring that energy with you. Because if you don't do that, the other person's not going to be enthused.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think for me, one of the things... Um that I learned from from a leader previously was was really like tone matching is important too. So I come in, I'm high energy, I've got like a higher pitched voice. It's a lot. So if someone is a little bit more like lower energy, I'm learning, well, constantly learning how to tone match a little bit so it's not just overwhelming. Um and whether that's like a cold call, whether that's on a demo, really, you know, quickly reading the person and being able to, to kind of level with them with while well, you said like still having your personality I'm always I will always be cracking jokes on a demo I make it fun for myself even if not for anyone else
0: <laughs> yeah I mean it, it depends on the person like if if I've been on calls and it's clear the other other guy's a gay guy and like we just talk like we've been old friends for for years and we you know we talk pretty casually um and not all of them I should say but 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 most um, but then when you have maybe a more conservative and again, i'm just gonna say client because i've had a ton you kind of get a bit more formal and say things differently um so so yeah there is that part of it just adapting to who you're talking to
1: yeah i think that's a big part of i mean not just sales but like communication in business as well like you work and have worked very like cross-functionally and i'm sure you've had to when you're navigating internal conversations like keep that in mind as well, just to kind of adapt and and flow the convo.
0: My biggest thing is, I mean, you all know I love my B2B acronyms. My biggest thing is every job function has acronyms and terminology. It's really important not to overly use those when you're talking to other departments. Um, Like, Not everyone knows our terms, and I certainly don't understand all the engineering product marketing smart smart stuff that the smart people are doing i I just make funny comments so yeah like i think just using language and words that everybody can understand or explaining what those terms are is, is just super important
1: yeah it's so funny you mentioned that when i like first got dipped my toe in the b2b world um i was like confession googling like difference between B2B and B2C and some of this stuff, like the day before my interview, because I came from a small biz background. And um, it was funny because within my first two or three weeks, I started creating a glossary. And I think it was like over a hundred terms that as I was learning, I was like, this would be really helpful for any other new hires coming in. But to your point, because acronyms are so simplified too, it's like one, you know, in one space, it can mean one thing and another, it's another. So it's like, Really, kind of using the words that are gonna resonate and and simplifying where you can, obviously,
0: there's one you know medpic, I literally never can remember <laughs> what like if first of all, you if somebody does remember what every letter in Medpic stands for, let me know do, do you do you know all the letters?
1: not off the top of my head on the
0: spot well, so no. i I google it though. so I'll tell her listeners like again, I don't know how anyone could possibly know all these things. So, MEDPIC, it's a a sales qualification methodology or framework, depending on who you're asking. Um, But it stands for metrics, economic buyer, decision criteria, decision process, paper process, implication of pain, champion, competition.
1: There you go. There you go.
0: MEDPIC, The implication of
1: pain is such a funny one, too. It's like, it just sounds so dramatic, but it is the one that confused
0: me the most was actually the paper process. And I I guess now they mean like, digital paper, like DocuSign stuff. So that's why I was like paper process.
1: Yeah, I think that could probably use a rebrand. But you know, that's really looking at what is it going to take to get the deal across the line, not even just, uh, you know, which documents, but like which departments are involved, all of that. So it's which, especially right now, is getting more and more complicated on the sales side, for sure.
0: Another p- post I saw recently, you were talking about how you were a fan of role-playing to prepare for for sales calls. Right? And, and we're not talking LARPing. What, what do you mean by role-playing?
1: If I was, like, a secret LARPer, I feel like that would be the biggest... Uh, I feel like that'd be a shock. That'd be, like, a really good secret hobby a hobby for me to have sales larp
0: we should totally make a sales larp and like train people how to coach and that's the business i mean how to role play sales (laughs) larp we're starting it now and sales larp is coming
1: sales LARP, but we're just like different different big sales personalities and cliches Mm -hmm. i love this idea honestly let's work on it because that sounds like a great time we don't dress up
0: as like knights we dress up as like angry shareholders (laughs)
1: The, we're like we're like the tech founder in in you know the uh holy t-shirt the backwards mm-hmm. hat on the call you gotta have and then you've got the the you know leader who's always in a suit we could you know we could have some fun with some uh sales, sales bar, but um no going back to role play I think sometimes it's tough depending on the structure of your team the size of your team um but one of the things that is really important. And actually, um, Kevin Dorsey was speaking about this at a conference at SaaS a couple of a few months ago. Um, but you know what they say is like, especially for newer reps, if they, if you aren't role-playing and practicing and going through those things, then like that practice and that learning is happening with prospects. And so it's really important, um, you know, at like every stage to be really looking at, you know, whether it's reviewing calls and then finding a piece to work on, um, you know, or from the rep side, asking for help. Like, if you're uncomfortable with something or you're not sure, rather than trying to just kind of work through it yourself, grab a teammate and say, hey, let's, you know, can we just practice together? Or can you pretend to be like a horrible, you know, angry CTO buyer that doesn't want to talk to me so I can like work through this without doing it? When you're in that higher pressure situation Uh,
0: so i think always going to somebody else even involving your friends uh could be helpful another really good way is to use chat gpt to feed them either the typical barriers and objections you get or just literally take some gong scripts uh or whatever other tool you use if you don't use gong but take some call transcripts put it into chat gpt and then have ChatGPT start to just become those people, and you actually you obviously have to prompt them and help them, but that is a really good way to think about other perspectives if you don't necessarily have that available to you. It's
1: interesting. I've been seeing some really good content uh, coming from a couple a couple players in the space on that, and it's it like really is fascinating because it is I think it would change the game for coaching and for self coaching. To your point, if you don't have the resources being able to do that. Um I think it's also a rabbit hole. So you kind of have to you have to take some of it with a grain of salt as well. Um but yeah, it's definitely something we're going to see growing exponentially over the next I mean, I'd say years but even like months.
0: One of the things that excites me about Unifor is you, the big tagline I always say is the future of enterprise AI is human. What is what does that mean exactly?
1: Um, there's a couple pieces to it. One is you know in looking at enterprise AI in the conversations we're having, security and and um, you know risk is a part of every one of those conversations, even from you know day one to day you know four thousand and twenty. And so um, building with security in mind first is really important at that level, rather than just rushing to implement some of these more like public programs. Um, and then when it comes to, you know, humanizing enterprise AI, we are in the conversational intelligence space. So on one side of the business, that's looking at, um, you know, contact center conversations, multimodal from the line that I'm in, queue for sales, um, that's actually taking in human elements in video calls. So when you're on a call with a prospect, um, it's not just looking at the language it's actually taking in the human characteristics of how someone is reacting to what you're presenting their tone their body language um, and really taking it a step further than a lot of um, a lot of the solutions that might just be analyzing text so that's kind of a piece of where because you know at the end of the day it's still human to human selling and it's really important to be able to you know have and guide those conversations and use AI to support that, not replace it.
0: Yeah, and I think supporting is, is super important here. I definitely want to continue some some sales things, and I have some sales questions. But one of the main reasons, well, I had so many reasons I was excited to talk to you. I don't need a reason. But one of the, the big reasons was that you are a proud ex-marketer who transitioned into sales. So I am very curious did marketing have you running for the hills and you were like you you couldn't wait to go out or was it more of a gradual transition?
1: Yeah it's so funny it's kind of it was a little bit both and at the time I was at an agency I was very specifically in paid social for a couple enterprise clients and unfortunately at the time a lot of the strategy and creativity in ways that I had been helping to really drive results for medium-sized businesses. I wasn't even I wasn't able to do that with enterprise because of their because of their restrictions and things and so the role lost a lot of what was kind of exciting about it. At the same time, I'm a people person. I love to talk. I don't know if that <laughs> I don't know if anyone would ever guess that that I'm a big talker. Um but I love to I love to learn about what people are doing, what they're working on. I like naturally want to connect them to people or solutions. So there's this element of, you know, what I do think makes like a good salesperson that I hadn't really explored in this space. And um, fortunately, I was at a company where I was able to kind of pitch an idea for a a hybrid role and a transition into sales and um, was able to, to make that move and really start getting that experience in the in the B2B space rather than, you know, previous sales experience.
0: Is there things from the marketing world that help you as as a salesperson that maybe somebody who has always been a salesperson just might not have that perspective on?
1: Yeah, I think a couple of things would be um, audience or customer first. So rather than um, being really focused on you being very buyer centric, Whereas like in the marketing space, as you know, it's really understanding your audience. And if you have assumptions, like validating those, testing those, asking those, really understanding um, you know, where they not where they live physically, but like if you're running digital, right? Like where do they live? In sales, it's similar. Um, you know, you have to take a multi-channel approach. If your customers or your target customers are retail. You're probably not going to find them on LinkedIn as much as if they are SaaS sales leaders. So, um, really learning the customer and of course like their needs, their challenges is, is critical from both standpoints. points. It's just a little bit of a different lens. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, is like creativity. um, I am not a script, like hardcore script person. Um, not to say that I wing it on calls, but I prefer frameworks and I prefer being able to, like I mentioned earlier, being able to to read the energy and kind of read the person I'm talking to and adapt from there. Um, and I think it kind of, you know, if you think about marketing, like especially social media marketing, you're doing a lot of putting things out there and then reacting to, how it's received and how it's perceived. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot more overlap than people realize between the two.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I do, growth marketing, there is not just an overlap, but you have to work with sales, and I, I always want to, obviously, but you, growth marketing and sales, particularly SDRs, that outreach is, is is just so connected that it really does does travel. I I'm curious. Is there a part of sales that you're glad you don't have to do that you used to do in marketing?
1: That's like a good question. I think that I like being more, uh, more customer focused and less heads down. So marketing, a lot of times in the the role that I was in, there would be potentially like days of just reporting or just being really like working in a in a silo. And I like I call myself an extreme extrovert um so i like love i just i like need to have conversations with people and that helps me keep my energy up and everything and so i would say that's one thing that i've liked more as being just like more and more of a people forward
0: i i am an introvert who can pretend to be an extrovert so that's the part of marketing that that i like where marketing is super collaborative You, you have all these meetings Um, but we're not we're not always talking and on twenty-four-seven the same way I think salespeople are.
1: Yeah, and I will say every once in a while if I'm having like a low day or a low week, I'm like, okay, I would love to just be like just writing ad copy right now. Like I wanna just be like be in a little flow doing research, writing ad copy. But for the most part, I think being again like having just more interaction with people is better for me than than less otherwise i start talking to my dog doing weird just weird stuff you know
0: <laughs> and you're you're a good person to ask this since you have both perspectives many times sales and marketing can struggle to be aligned or there's just gaps and bridges between the two since you, you have experience in both what what suggestions would you have for people to get more aligned or, or close that gap
1: Yeah, this is something that's like definitely been on my mind lately, um, because you see it a lot. And I think there's a lot of waste that kind of happens because of it. I think one issue is that goals aren't necessarily always aligned. And so if we're not working towards a common goal, it can be hard to work together. I think the other piece of it is what I've seen happens a lot is marketing does all of this, like amazing work, they come up with, you know, whether it's like a big campaign, a launch, a brief, a whatever it is, but they potentially don't get sales feedback or input in the development process. It's not until it's presented. And then sales, I feel like at times will not do like maybe their best with all of that because they didn't have the, there wasn't the buy-in. And I think part of that is cross-functional feedback and understanding at every level, not just here's our quarterly initiative. Like in my opinion, marketing and sales should always be talking, even if it's one or two point people. Um, because, it really does need to be collaborative. I mean, we're not in the days of a very traditional funnel anymore. We are in circles that overlap and like the buyer's journey is much, much more complex. And so sales and marketing, I believe, like need to be aligned a lot more closely, but it's, I mean, it's challenging to do that. What's, I'm curious, I'm curious your take, like your experience in terms of aligning with sales.
0: My approach has always been, like, literally marketing is here to help sales, but also sales is always, to me, the first people I go to. And I'm like, what are clients objecting or what are prospects objecting to that I should make clear on the website or write a blog post about or, or send ad campaigns? Um, what prospects are accepting the meetings more that we should target more? Um, I also think it's important for marketing and and sales to have access to the same dashboards, the same reports, have a mutually defined lead scoring principle, uh, mutually defined what's an MQL, what's what's a yeah. lead, and a lot of times this just doesn't exist. One yeah. of the things that that so marketers when they come into a company they they like to have all these big ideas and go crazy. Make sure lead routing is, is, is working. Uh is there a scoring in place? Do that stuff because that is again, not every marketing role can do that, but like that's the biggest thing, because that, that one fixes everything with sales and then it makes your job easier. You you can't do that until there is that alignment.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I feel like RevOps is always always, always, always a challenge. Um Actually, the agency I used to work at, we had an entire, like, RevOps division for that reason, Um, you know? And I think it's getting everyone on the same page and, like, also if you're looking at just, like, lead process and, you know, what constitutes this versus that, getting everyone on the same page and making sure you're not overcomplicating it. Because if you're asking a sales rep to change a lead status, like... 10 times over the course of, you know, a few steps, they're probably just not going to do it, which then like muddies up the reporting, which then muddies up the like ROI and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it is getting buy-in from stakeholders. And, you know, I know that's challenging to do, but I think that's where there's a, a mark missed in some of the alignment pieces of it is like understanding how to do that.
0: Yeah, I I personally have always had great relationships. Um, Like, the only times I've been annoyed at sales is maybe my agency days when they were selling more accounts, when I didn't have time or a team to work on those accounts. Um, Yeah. But startups, like, I've always had good relationships. I, I think a big factor, too, is making sure your attribution and reporting is as accurate as possible. Because a lot of times tension comes, is this a marketing lead? Is this a sales lead? Who gets the credit? And credit becomes the conversation rather than, hey, this was linear or weighted and marketing had this, but sales did this.
1: Yeah, the attribution and just like rules of engagement need to be super, super clear. And you're not going to probably, you know, you're going to have situations where you're like, well i didn't you know sorry I like when that. i hear
0: rules of engagement i think of that tv show was was david spade in that i never watched it
1: that was like what that was a long time ago my memory it was like yeah my memory doesn't retain things that it far, was like <laughs> i would
0: change the channel like that would come on and like then i would know like oh i should change the channel but sorry you were saying something smart before i interrupted
1: no i was just saying like not everyone is gonna love every kind of situation as it turns out with rules of engagement but like it's so necessary to have because then you just – you go back to it. It's the, you know, quote-unquote law. There's always an exception here or there, but I think it just helps to, to diffuse some of that. Just like, again, that, that muddiness of how you um, report and track and ultimately to drive performance for both teams. Like, ultimately, it's all about winning together, and it shouldn't be – there shouldn't be battles over – my credit or your credit or things like that. And that's where I think in coming years leaders are gonna be looking a little bit more in how different departments are tracked and how teams are measured because it does it it, it can create some tension for sure.
0: So I have nothing smart to say before I get on to my next question. Rules of engagement was in fact a, a sitcom on CBS with David Spade and it had seven seasons wow Mm -hmm. you don't have seven seasons of anything anymore
1: yeah that's crazy all
0: right but back to back to the smart stuff so michelle one of the things you always advise people on when they're interviewing is to ask about compensation plans for the non-sales people talk about comp versus maybe ote um, and then why you think it's important for people to ask about that
1: yeah, for sure. So I mean, and I think this is like a pretty big topic right now, because in the market, we're seeing a lot of shifts. And um, so for the non salespeople, OTE on target earnings, and that's essentially a combination of your as a sales rep, your base, and then your expected commission, if you hit goal. Um there are a lot of things happening in the market right now, but the term, I don't know exactly who coined it. I don't know if it was Alexine or someone else, but faux-te is a term that is definitely out there. And that's essentially when someone is sold on a role based off of an expected comp, based off of goals that might be literally impossible to hit. Um, And we're not just saying, hey, you know, I'm not a top performer so I didn't hit it, but like, looking at um you know how many people on the team are consistently hitting that goal where did the goal come from you know is this just some back of the napkin or like some excel math that doesn't take into consideration the market conditions the product market they just copy
0: and paste it from another job post
1: right yeah i mean that (laughs) happens too where it's just like this sounds good um and it doesn't take into consideration all of the different factors that actually go into that so what can happen is someone takes a role with expected performance, expected comp, and then they might come in 30, 40, 50, 50% below that because it was maybe um, not presented truthfully because there wasn't anything backing those numbers. And so when I'm either like mentoring people or just having conversations, um, there's a lot of talk around just asking the right questions in in that interview process, and really understanding, um, you know, how the team has performed towards those goals, so that you just have, you know, so you're fully informed before you make that decision and, and take on a role.
0: Well, it's time for our next segment, Spill the Tea with Lee. This is the segment where we spill the tea on all things B2B. That's right, this is the sassiest podcast for B2B, and it's going to get juicy. So I wanted to dive in and talk about cold calling and, and tea on that. I want to hear about one of the most memorable, maybe rudest or bizarre calls you've had in, in all of your years of cold calling.
1: Okay, so that's a tough one because I haven't I haven't had anyone be like a complete Can I can I use foul language on this podcast? Yes, yeah, so this is okay. explicit. Um I haven't had someone be like a complete asshole. I mean, you get a lot of the hang up, not interested. Um, I think the the angry ones are usually people who um are typically like out of SAS. They don't understand tools as much. And it's where did you get my number? I had someone go on for like two minutes ranting at me once of um essentially, I you know, I've told you to stop calling me. You called me five times, which hadn't called them ever before. Um, but it's kind of funny. So my approach is, like, I just kind of diffuse and I offer to send them the information to, like, remove their data from, like, the top three platforms. <laughs> so I actually have, like, a follow-up email that I'll send if they obviously don't, like, hang up on me that tells them how to remove their data. Because at the end of the day, like, all's fair and you know, contact data. Um, but yeah, I don't have any, like, I don't have any like That's really good ones. That's good. That's good
0: because I see st- horror stories all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I personally i I don't answer any phone number that I don't recognize. I also have my Google Voice to do the the screenings. Same with when I have business phones, I, I get the the transcripts. So I don't answer phone calls. Um, how do you? How do you deal with that too? Like, what what's the T on like just people don't answer phone calls?
1: I mean, it is a numbers game because there will, you know, depending on whether you're calling mobile, office, throughout, you know, there's a thousand different factors. Um, but you typically, I mean, I don't know, my connect rate's probably under ten percent, so it's a lot of just dialing. Um, there are some different strategies you can use with that voicemail to have that touch point where you're probably going to look at it at least. So you might see Michelle, Unifor, um, you know, hopefully it's a relevant voicemail. Um, But yeah, I mean, contact rates are definitely something that are a factor. And that depends though on industry, persona, how clean your data is. There's a lot of things that go into that. So to your point, like you and I might not pick up a random call, um, but there are a lot of people who still do. And especially I think, calling i sell to sales leaders and so sales leaders typically i would say are probably one of the top that will answer because they're they're using their phone for business um but i think i want to say marketers are like bottom 10 10 to 20 percent of people that answer their phone they're like no absolutely not
0: do you think that'll start changing as maybe the younger millennials and gen z start to have more senior positions in, in, in the workplace do you think that generationally i mean it's known millennials and gen z don't call on the phone as much do you think it's always going to be the case in business where like you just got to call people or do you think there'll be a time where the millennials and gen z are are in charge and don't talk to me ever
1: yeah that's a really good question i could definitely see it trending that way um i could definitely see it the other thing too is with just the number of automated robocalls, calls all of that all of that's going up significantly as well. So there's more noise along with, you know, fewer pickups. So I could definitely see it trending that way to where it's um becomes a lot less effective. I don't I'm not one to ever say a channel or tactic will be dead. Um mm-hmm. but I think it will be interesting over like the next several years of just like how, you know, how people deal with that.
0: So I thought we would do a little would you rather sales edition. Ooh. And so, your headline says you're over-caffeinated. So, I wanted to also put in some coffee topics here. So, first question here. Would you rather have an unlimited supply of coffee, but you always spill some of it on your shirt during every sales call, or have to write 1,000 sales emails without any coffee?
1: Um, I'm going to go... I would rather write the emails. I think, yeah, I'd rather write the emails because I I do already spill on myself often, okay. always in a white, always in a white t-shirt, every single so this time. This is already like,
0: happening. You're, now you're just getting unlimited coffee. Honestly, I'm
1: surprised I'm not. I don't have like a, a nice coffee stain today. That's a good question though.
0: I don't know if that, that's a win win for you. You're already spilling. You're just getting unlimited coffee then. <laughs> All right. So then I gotta ask you a tougher one then. So. Would you rather have a really tough sales conversation for an hour or so or make fifty calls in a row without a break?
1: Um, really tough sales conversation because that means i'm I'm further further in the funnel there. so it's yeah, less than like the the dials, but I'd rather be at a point to have a tough sales conversation than at that top of funnel.
0: What about, would you rather have an extra hour to rehearse for a a big sales pitch or an extra hour to go get
1: coffee? (laughs) I I love this. Um,
0: So you're getting the coffee or you're preparing here? I
1: would split the hour because they're both important. Preparation is important, but if you over-prepare and under-caffeinate, I think that's going to have a more detrimental effect. So I'm going to cheat and split that hour.
0: I I agree, though. I think over-preparation kills authenticity. So obviously prepare, but just don't. Nobody wants to be talking to a a script or a robot.
1: I know. It's like that entire script you sent me for this conversation.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, this is all planned. We have it (laughs) written. What I'm saying now, as I'm saying it, is all part of a script. (laughs) We're getting meta here. All right, so I think that that's that's the what I ra- would would you rather questions I have. Are you iced <laughs> coffee year round?
1: Yes, except mm-hmm. for during the month of December, I will shy away from that for a peppermint mocha. The peppermint Christmas, mocha okay. does have my heart, but and those are not good ice. You have to get those hot. But yeah, I'll drink iced coffee in like a rainstorm. That's great.
0: <laughs> Shifting to sales again a bit. So sales has historically been a, a male dominated field obviously there's so much progress we're making there's great organizations like women in sales um have you ever had to deal with a gender bias or or stereotype either now or maybe when you're starting out your career in in sales
1: yeah i think it's less of a typically like an obvious bias at least like i've worked in some really great organizations and um some really like female-led organizations as well which is you know amazing um, but I do think that there are a lot of elements that it is still, it is still very prevalent. I mean, if I look at, uh, a hundred prospects that I call that are in sales, it's probably 70 to 75% male. Um, I think that you get a lot of the, like the sports references and there's still the, you know, the golf, like the golf course meetings and some of that stuff that's a little more, um, like that traditional, I would say, or comes from that, um, but I do think like we're making strides, and I think the biggest thing is women being empowered by not just like other women to speak up and to you know um kind of push for for our place and our seat at the table, but also you know having allies as well is is definitely important that are going to um call bullshit out if you know, they're in a room that you're not in. I think that's something that's really important. And I think we're slowly getting there. Um, but it's, you know, it it takes time. And there's definitely still, uh, you know, a lot that we see in the industry, for sure. And in I mean, in corporate America in general, but in sales, it's pretty prevalent
0: progress, but everyone needs to, to talk up. Um, yeah, a bit more fun question for you. After a long day of sales calls, maybe rejections, how do you unwind from, from a day of cold calling and sales rejections?
1: Yeah, so it depends. I, it's pretty much like 50, 50 between, um, 50, 50 between like getting a good workout in if I didn't already work out that morning. Um, not that I work out every morning, but that's the goal. That's future me. Um, Or, like, just, like, a good happy hour, like, event sesh with my close friends, I think is just, nothing really beats just being able to, like, walk away, get out of the house, and just kind of, like, bring humor to it and tell the story of what you experienced and just kind of, like, get it out and then hear what happened and and hear, like, they also might have had a horrible day.
0: To end, a good question here is, what's your personal philosophy for... Building long-lasting relationships with your prospects, your clients. Because to me that that's what sales is. Yes, it's selling, but it's relationship building.
1: Yeah, I think you have to um one just like have good intentions. And obviously everyone gets stressed out, they have goals, but you still have to like treat people with respect and not as a number um and i think being genuinely invested in whether or not your solution can actually help them or they actually have a problem um because you know i did a lot of when i was agency especially i did a lot of disqualifying where we'd have a chat and we weren't the right fit and i would personally intro them to like two or three other agencies or consultants and that was something that from both those like partner side and from um the people side like I've had people come back to me a while later and just like thank me for that because there was nothing for me to like get out of that but it was important to me to just kind of put the human first and so I think just like that good intention and being authentic too obviously um you know that's a big part of it as well as in building those relationships and also like understanding not everybody wants to be your friend which is a hard thing for some of us me to uh accept but (laughs) some people want a very uh you know they want the relationship to just be very like cut and dry and like respecting that is important as well because they'll then see you as that like trusted advisor rather than someone who just tried to kind of like pressure them into a bunch of chit chat
0: chit chat this was great chit chat i can chit chat with you all day Michelle, I know you're available on LinkedIn. Is there any upcoming podcasts, webinars, events, anything that we should look out for?
1: I've got a couple of things in the works, um, but nothing solidified right this second. So yeah, definitely, you know, give me a follow or connect on LinkedIn. Shoot me a message if you um, enjoyed this, if you just want to connect. I'm always up for virtual chats and meeting new people. And yeah, this was awesome. I definitely enjoyed it. It Send Michelle some iced
0: coffee. (laughs)
1: i just get all these like random iced coffees delivered like i mean i'm not gonna complain but be hilarious
0: all right michelle it was so good talking to you thank you everybody for listening to another episode of leader b see you next time